wondered what it's like to face the complex world of disability insurance claims as a physician? Meet Edward Dabdaub, the founding attorney at Dabdaub Law Firm. Eddie began his legal career working as a law clerk during law school at a disability insurance firm, and he would go on to build his own law firm for the sole purpose of handling disability insurance claims. He spent his entire legal career helping people get paid disability insurance benefits. Today, his firm represents all types of physicians across the country. Eddie specializes in physician disability insurance claims, appeals, and litigation. Eddie has represented many physicians and gained a deep understanding of the occupational duties of various medical specialties, and he's applied that knowledge to successfully obtain disability insurance benefits on behalf of physicians. He recently won a case on behalf of a liver transplant surgeon who had own occupation disability insurance. After suffering a fall, the doctor could no longer perform liver transplant, but continued to perform other types of surgeries. His insurance company denied his total disability claim on the grounds that he had more than one occupation, because prior to his disability, he performed other types of surgeries when not doing liver transplants. Eddie successfully argued before the federal court that his occupation was that of a liver transplant surgeon. Once he became unable to perform liver transplant, he was totally disabled from his own occupation despite continuing to do other surgeries. With experience litigating in both federal and state courts, Edward Dabdaub is a true hero for those seeking the disability insurance benefits they deserve. So if you or someone you know is navigating the challenging world of disability insurance, don't miss the opportunity to connect with Edward Dabdaub and his dedicated team at Dabdaub Law Firm. They've got your back. Stay tuned for another fascinating episode of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. And remember, when life throws its toughest challenges your way, Edward Dabdaub and his firm are here to fight for your rights. Visit longtermdisability.net to learn more. Why has Toastmasters been so transformative for this physician? And what can it do for you? Make sure to listen till the end for some excellent storytelling tips. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. We're welcoming back to the show today, Dr. Scott Abramson. Dr. Abramson has been on the show a few times before, and actually he's going to be guest hosting coming up. So stay tuned for those episodes. For those who don't know, he practiced neurology with Kaiser in Northern California for over 40 years, up until 2020. And for most of those years, he's been passionately involved in the physician communication and physician wellness project. You know, a lot of overlap here at Physician's Guide to Doctoring. And some of his stories can be found in video format on his YouTube website, drwisdom.net. That's one word, drwisdom.net. And he recently published a book, actually, after one of our episodes. So in the interim, um, published a book called Bedside Manners for Physicians and Everybody Else what they don't teach you in medical school or any other school. So, Dr. Abramson, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you, Brad. I appreciate being here. So we're going to be talking about Toastmasters. Scott is a member of Toastmasters, and it's something that I thought was so cool. And he learned a lot of stuff that applies to his practice of medicine and his passions, his passion about you know bedside matters. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's start off with who and what are these Masters of Toast? You know, most people who, who aren't members, who don't know about it, think it's 
how to learn to give a toast. That's what I thought, you know, at a wedding or. Right. That's what I still think up until you're about to tell me. No, 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 no. That's what it is. But it's really about folks who want to learn the practice and the art of public speaking. Makes sense. So what's involved in it? Well, there's Toastmasters as about, I don't know, there's, I think there's about 15,000 clubs in like 148 countries. There's about 300,000 members of Toastmasters. And basically, it's a group of people that just get together and have this mission in common to learn how to speak better publicly. That's what it's about. Now, it meets their, each club has a meeting. Usually, sometimes it's once a week. It lasts for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, two hours. And let me just give you, I'll give you a brief description of how a meeting takes place. There's three main pillars of Toastmasters, three main pillars. There's other ones also, but the main pillar is the public speaking part. So people there, several people will give a prepared speech. Usually the speech is about five to seven minutes and they'll, you pick the topic, but usually there's a pathway you want to travel on it. Like, let's say you want to start a pathway about giving humorous speeches. So you would give this series of humorous speeches. But so people prepare a speech They give it, it's about five to seven minutes. Then the second part is that every person that gives a speech is assigned an evaluator. So that evaluator then evaluates the speech and, you know, talks about how it was given, what could be done better, what uh, was challenging, and what was great about it. That's the second part. The third part is extemporaneous speaking. So basically, we call that tabletop. So basically, that will be a practice in learning to speak extemporaneously. The person that's the table topics master, they call it, will present a series of questions to each person there. And so they may ask something like, it may be something simple like, what was your favorite fall vacation? And then there'll be more questions to the person that comes up, what's your, what, something off that, that theme. I've been there where, you know, sometimes they'll, Take a um, a fortune cookie, pull out the thing from the fortune cookie, and you'd have to talk about that. Or sometimes they'll have just they'll cut out articles of the newspaper, they'll throw it out, and say, "Okay, pick one of these." And this, I was at one another one. Um, somebody just gave the mottos of a state, right? You know, live free or die. So you so each person got a state, and you'd have to talk extemporaneously. That's like one to two minutes, an extemporaneous speech. So that's the third part. So it's the, it's the preparing a speech, it's the evaluating a speech, and then it's speaking extemporaneously. So you get practice in all those things. There's also some other aspects to it. For instance, someone is assigned a Toastmaster, and that person gets practice kind of in leadership. How do you run a meeting? How do you run this? Then there's, we have someone called a grammarian, and the grammarian's job is to count the Ums, the ahs, the so's, the you knows, which the filler stuff. And they also are responsible for choosing a word of the day. So it's a way to increase your vocabulary. And, and when the word of the day is chosen, you know, you, you're tasked to use that word in your extemporaneous speech or the speech you're going to give. And so that's it. Then there's another role that called the general evaluator. The gen- so everybody in the meeting has some sort of role, does something. So the general evaluator evaluates the meeting, but specifically 
he evaluates the evaluators. So in other words, this evaluator evaluates the speech. The general evaluator doesn't evaluate the speech, but he evaluates the evaluator and say, you know, for instance, you were very good in pointing out the specific aspect there was you and pointing out the vocal variety that was in the speech, but you kind of missed some of the body language. You didn't address that part or, you know, it wasn't, it was a little bit too negative. You didn't give a, you didn't give a pathway to improving. So basically the general evaluator has to, you know, really listen. And that's the point, Brad, is that this is not just about public speaking. It's about public listening. It's about listening with really, with real intention. And that was what was one of the great things that helped me in my career is the, not just the public speaking part, but the public listening part. And because of that, I know that I became a better clinician, better doctor. Well, for the you know short time that I've known you, you are an incredible listener. Like you pick up on things and patterns and notice things and you know you bring it back to my attention. So certainly it, it either you came to it with this ability or learned a lot from the Toastmasters. So I can definitely see that. Yeah, learned a lot. So what drove you to join the Toastmasters? What at what point in your career did you say, you know what? This is something that I need to work on and these are definitely my people. I had never heard of it. I, like you, if someone would have mentioned, I says, okay, so you learn how to give toast. Well, it turned out my cousin, it was coming on his son's bar mitzvah and he had to give a bar mitzvah speech. So he joined Toastmasters and he told me about it. And I put it in the back of my mind. And one day I said, you know, I'm going to just go to a meeting. I walked into the meeting. There were about 40 people there. And I really was not, I was just wanted to see what it was like. I was kind of intimidated. There was, these were very professional type people. And I sat in the back of the room and see, I'm so conscious here. That was just an, see, that was a filler word. And I'm going another one, but people there, one of the, one of the values of Toastmaster is when a guest walks in, you treat them like royalty. So people I didn't even know were coming up to me, welcoming me. How you know, how did you hear about us? Please, you know, if you have any questions, please, all sorts of people really welcome you. It was, it's a, great value that this organization has. I can tell you something, you know, there are Toastmasters just about, I mean, in every city. I mean, there's, I'm sure there are tons of them on Long Island, whatever. But when I would go some visiting another city or traveling, a lot of times the first place I'd go was to a Toastmasters meeting in that local area. I remember once I was in San Diego at the American Neurological Association convention, and it's a worldwide convention. There's like 15, 20,000 people there. And I was trying to, and I'd walk and these people are all with their little bags, you know, and I'm trying to make conversation with people and everybody's, you know, looking for their tribe and, you know, taking notes and all that. I, I, I was feeling kind of lonely. And I went to a Toastmasters meeting that morning instead of going to the lecture. And everybody was so nice. I felt great. I struggle with that too, right? It's something that I've actually covered in a couple of shows recently where like, I'll go to a meeting and I'll just you know, I'll mean to network and I'll just stand there with my hands in my pocket. So I'm one of those people that you would be standing there with the, the bag in my hand, not talking to anybody. So yeah. I guess we could all be a little more approachable. So you go to this Toastmasters meeting, you know, on the other side of the country. Oh, wait, you're in, well, not the other side of the country because you said it was in San Diego and you're on the, you're on the West Coast, but a different part of the state, right? So what are the types of people that tend to join 
Toastmasters? That is one of the great things about Toastmasters because, Brad, I, you're probably like me. Most of the people that you meet are the kind of people, you know, that you hang out with at work, fellow doctors, professionals, and so forth. At Toastmasters, you meet such a variety of people. I mean, there are people there. There are insurance salesmen. There's teachers. There's policemen. There's firemen. There's people in pastors, people in all walks of life, anyone that really wants to improve their public speaking. And I remember at one of my clubs, at one of the, one of the meetings, there was a guy named John Perez, and he's on a city council member in the city of Hayward where I was going. And we were just sitting around and we were talking about what was your high school nickname, right? You know, like the Tigers or the Lions or something like that. What was your high school nickname, by the way? High school, the Vikings. The Vikings. All right. Okay. So we were doing that. We were going around. Everybody was standing And this one, and John, you know, who's a city council member, said he couldn't come up with a nickname. He, he said, I can't remember it. He said, I never really went to one high school long enough to know their nickname because he grew up in this in itinerant Mexican family. And they would start in California and start picking peaches and they'd go up to now, at the end of the season, they were picking apples in, or in Washington. And, and through, throughout all his high school years, he would go to a month or two here, a month or two there. No one in his family had passed more than the, the third grade. So this is the kind of person that, that you meet. And he was an eloquent speaker. The other type of person, Brad, that you meet is there are a lot of people who have come from foreign countries. And these are people, China, from India, or, well, not India, but other, where English is a second language for them. They come, to, they come to Toastmasters because they really want to learn English better. And for those people, I have such tremendous respect because imagine this, it's hard enough to get up speaking English and go through this program and give speeches and be criticized and critiqued and so forth. But these guys are English as a second language. And they struggle with it, but yet they get up and they give these speeches and they go through the program. I really have tre tremendous admiration for those people. And basically, I would these are self-starting people. These are go-getters. These are people that have that inner drive to be better. You had spoken earlier about how it helped you be a better listener. And clearly, that's going to help you to be a better clinician, right? Being able to listen to your patients and listen with both ears as We've said in an episode from long ago, listen with both ears. So are there other ways that it helped you to be a better physician, clinician, healthcare provider? Well, one of the things was because it was, an, it, it was a, just the perfect alignment of the stars. I don't want to use the word perfect storm because that's bad, but this was a perfect alignment of the stars, of the stars because just when I was going through Toastmasters, Kaiser came out with this initiative of patient-physician communication. And it's so I got in kind of on the ground floor there. Just as they brought out the program, they, it's, it was like the watch one, teach one, you know, watch one, do one, teach one thing. So they brought out this program and they had contractors who did it and who would present the, this paradigm of patient-clinician communication. And I saw this is perfect. I love this. I love this idea of presenting these talks and teaching this material and learning this material myself. And Brett, I'll tell you this, all my life, I mean, I was blessed with very good teachers. I'm from grammar school to 
high school, I went to Georgia Military Academy, which is a great prep school, had great teachers there. I went to a really good college that had some really good teachers. Medical school had great mentors. But I can tell you this, I learned more at Toastmasters about focusing my thoughts, about putting those thoughts on paper and delivering those thoughts in a coherent way that I learned in any of those schools and in, from any of those wonderful teachers. I was, I was, the next question was going to be, how did it help your life in other ways? But I feel like you just answered that question. <laughs> it's a great question because by, when I, by doing this and taking and being so passionate about this mission of communication, it brought so much joy and meaning into my daily life. It really did. I, I know that I would have retired. Like you said, I worked at Kaiser for over 40 years. I would have retired like most of my colleagues, 25, 30, 35 years. And being involved with this project and this endeavor just brought so much meaning and joy in my life. That's why I kept going. So I became a much happier person. I enjoyed my work a lot more. The other way was not, so that it's a dual kind of track thing, Brad, because it was not only the presentation skills, because, I, because being in this project, you know, I learned to give presentations and workshops and things like that. And it was a joy not just to give these workshops and presentations, but to prepare them. I really found a joy in putting thoughts together, putting ideas together in a way that would make sense to people, I thought. So it was that part. It was the presentation part, the teaching part, the workshop part, but it was also the listening part because it really taught me to listen better to my patients. And because I was listening better, I was connecting better. And because I was connecting better, it brought so much, again, joy and meaning to the visits. the end of another busy day. You just saw 20, 30 patients, maybe more. Instead of heading home for dinner with your spouse or playing with your kids, you now begin your night job, charting. Charting is critical for patient care, billing, and medical legal liability, but it steals our focus from our patients, eats away at our time with our families, and keeps us up at night. The burden of always having another chart to complete drains all of us. Freed listens, prepares your notes, and writes patient instructions for you. Charting is done before your patient walks out of the room. Wait, because it gets better. Freed learns your style over time. It's AI, just like a human scribe would, except it will never quit on you. Freed is loved by 3,000 plus clinicians from every specialty. It's HIPAA compliant, takes 30 seconds to learn, and costs only $99 a month. You can try Freed for free, right now by going to freed.ai, F-R-E-E-D.ai. Listeners of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring can use the code PGD50 for $50 off the first month. Human connection, human connection. We are social animals. And so as much as we might lament other people, we need other people. So I can see how that those connections would really bring so much more joy. And you know, Brad, I don't know whether I told you this before or mentioned this before. If you could boil down the value of the Toastmasters and the value of the listening part 
and how listening more closely to patients brought so much more meaning to my practice. You could boil it down to one word, and you will never guess the word because it's a very simple word. And the word that really, that made the difference. Scott, I'm on the edge of my seat here. Yeah. Well, see, that's part of the Toastmasters is we don't just uh, give it away. Yes. We keep you in suspense, you know. I'm, I'm dragging it out here because that's what we do, right? So it's one word that made a difference in all this and all the listening. And that word is T-H-E-V. Yeah, you're looking puzzled. Yeah, I am. Yes, I never would have guessed it, and I still don't understand it. Okay, so you're waiting for an explanation, right? Okay. Most doctors, and I was trained this way too, were trained in the find it, fix it, explain it mode, right? Someone comes in, symptoms, we find what they mean, we fix it, and we explain it. That's our paradigm, right? It's about, in other words, it's about what's the matter, right? Makes sense. That's what we're trained for. What's the matter? I'll fix it. I'll find it. You know, I'll explain it to you. But what I learned is, if you can get rid of the T-H-E, it becomes what matters. So in other words, Brad, let me give you an example. You know, and all doctors, believe me, and I've felt a lot uh, this way a lot during my career. A lot of doctors, you know, it's one runny nose after another. It's a chronic cough after another, right? And you could find it and fix it and say, well, okay, your cough is due to an allergy. Your cough is due to you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And you found it, you fix it, you've done your job. Okay, we're great. But if you eliminate, if you start thinking in terms of not what's the matter, but what matters. And so the question you ask, and I've heard you ask this, and I've heard you talk about this yourself. So what you, the question you ask is not what time of day is the cough worse? What makes it better? You know, is it bloody? Is it mucus? Is it blah, blah, blah? What is it? What's important to ask is, to get to what matters. So tell me, what are you most afraid of with this cough, right? Oh, you think it could be like Uncle Joe's where he had cancer and the doctor said it was just an allergy. Is that it? And, oh, okay. Or, you know, how is this affecting your life? Well, I'm, you know, I'm a teacher and I can't teach my class. I'm coughing all the time or keep my husband awake and we're having trouble with our marriage or whatever. If you get that information, it's not just, okay, take this allergy med. Great. I've done my job, but it's like, wow, I have given, and of course, and you're going to, assuming that it's not cancer, you reassure someone it's not cancer. What a great thing. You have given that person such a gift just for that routine visit. She goes, the patient goes home and like, God, that was on the back of my mind. I was worried. Thank God bless that doctor. And if you get, if you get into that depth, then the patient knows one that you understand them a little better and therefore care about them a little more. And so it's not just about fixing their, they want to know that their doctor not only can help them, but actually cares about them. And so that giving that extra depth of understanding creates more of a human connection. So the doctor will actually enjoy the visit more and the patient will get more out of it, even if the treatment is the same. Even if the treatment is the same, exactly. And that's when you start listening and you focus on what matters. What really matters? Is it this cough that's about, or is it to be reassured that it's not cancer? And like I said, as a physician, this is not just your, you know, 12, you know, chronic cough of the morning. This is somebody you have given a little bit of their life back to. And you've got to walk out of that room, not just, hey, I, that was a quick visit. I'm, you know, now I can do my jury excuses or something. 
but you could, but you walk out of the room and say, man, I gave something really important to that person. I feel good. That's how it's changed. It's about not what's the matter, what matters. So that's the listening component. And, but you had gotten to earlier and you gave an example how you drew us in. You're telling your story and there's this word and you didn't tell us, you left us hanging a little bit and that's part of your technique. So what, what I'd like to know is, do you have any of those other little pearls for us that, you know, you gave us that one example, but do you have any others, either pearls that you think would be high ROI specifically for physicians or, you know, as an experienced Toastmaster, recurring issues that you would see come up with newer Toastmasters with their speaking that you could give us some tips? I could talk all day about this, Brad, but let me give you two simple ones, two simple ones, okay? One is the power of repetition, power of repetition. <laughs> so there's a story, there's this old story, you know, Orson Welles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now that you're By the saying way, it. that was just another technique I used. See, I knew Orson Welles all the time, but if I throw it out there like I don't know and you know it, you're feeling like, hey, I'm pretty damn smart. We've made a connection. You helped me out. And now I'm actively listening instead of passively listening. I'm a participant instead of just a listener. Exactly. Exactly. So that's another way to build connection, but I wasn't planning on that. Here are the two things. So one of them is, so the story about Orson Welles, so Orson Welles goes to a uh, Christmas party one year and a guy comes up to him, friend comes up to him, says, how you doing, Orson? And he says, I'm fat and I'm old. So the next year he goes to the Christmas party again. The same guy comes up to him and says, How'd you, how you doing, or Orson? He says, I'm fat and I'm old. The guy said, well, you told me, you told me that last year. He says, well, there you are. I'm fat and I'm old and I'm repetitive. So the point is, there's nothing wrong with being repetitive. So let's say, you're, let's say this patient comes in with a cough. The way I would, might say this to somebody is, Mary, I got good news for you. This is not cancer. This is not cancer. And then the second thing is, here's what a lot of people do, right? They ignore the power of the pause. So I'm going to say something like, it's not cancer. Good news. It's not cancer. Now, a lot of people would go, not cancer. So you can be relaxed about this. Take the medicine. You'll be fine. Not cancer. So you don't have anything to worry about. You know, just uh, lead your normal life. Have a good time. But if you pause, Mary, it's not cancer. Let that sink in. Let her relish that moment. It can be so powerful. And it's especially powerful. If you're giving an empathic statement, right? If you're giving an empathic statement, because most people will say, oh, wow, um, gosh, it's really tough that you're up all night with this cough. Oh, that's a really tough thing. So let me try to give you some cough medicine. Or I'll tell you what, we have some breathing exercises you could do. Gosh, it must be tough being all night, but we can help you with this or that, right? You, it's, it, what it is, we make an empathic statement and then we make a fix-it statement. But if we make that empathic statement, you know, wow, it must be tough being up all night with that call. Just shut up. Just let it hang there. There's an acronym they teach. There's an acronym we, we teach in our communications. You may have heard this. It's called WAIT, W-A-I-T. Have you heard that, Blair? WAIT. So I've made this a habit. When I'm, when I'm having a conversation like that, I, I keep telling myself, WAIT, W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? Right? Why am I trying to fix something? You know, gosh, it must be tough being up all night with that cough. And you know, you what you might get from that is someone may open up to you and say, Yeah, doc, you know, 
it's not just a cough, but my wife and I have been, she, my wife left me and now I'm having to take care of the kids by myself. And man, it's tough, Doc. Wow. That must really be tough. Now, see, I, now, a lot of people would say, wow, it must be tough. You know, how about, I know of a, I know of a good divorce lawyer. Uh, I know of a parent without partner uh, group, you know, that you could go to. How about some counseling? You know, how about some Ellaville? You know, if you just make that statement and just shut up. I mean, that's one of the great lessons that I learned at Toastmasters, just power of the pause. And now having known you for a while and spoken to you a number of times before, I totally get it. And I totally see the pattern now. And all these, because, you know, ever, since we first spoke, I've always thought of you as being such a great storyteller. And, you know, for everyone who hasn't checked it out, go to drwisdom.net and check out his stories. There's little vignettes on how to improve your communication. And, but he does it in a story and he's such an engaging storyteller. But even these few, t I, and I, now I totally see the pattern and it, and it makes sense. And it draws me in every time. And I love it. And it makes me want to just find more opportunities to, to speak to you because you're just such a master storyteller. So it works. It works. Repetition works. It, pause, works. I know. I see, I'm getting it right. Martin Luther King, you know, in that, in that speech, that, the I Have a Dream speech, I've looked at that speech so many times and it's, boy, if you want to, the power of, of repetition, it is he goes, you know, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and molehill in Mississippi. Let freedom. And eight times, he goes, let freedom ring. Let freedom ring. Eight times. So if we want to find Toastmasters, if we want to become a Toastmaster, or I guess Toast Apprentice to begin with, and then eventually a Toastmaster, where do we, I would imagine it's Toastmasters.com, Toastmasters, where's the... On Toastmasters, yeah, Toastmasters.org, and you can look, and I'm sure you, in whatever city you're in, there's going to be dozens of meetings. Some of them meet in the morning, some of them meet at lunchtime, some of them meet in the evening. And the great thing is, you can just walk into any meeting. You will be welcomed. You don't, there's no pressure to join. You can just sit back, and that, that's a great thing because there's no pressure. And you can just sit back, watch how it goes. And there's probably, like I said, a lot of these in your area. You might check out three or four of them. See, you know, if the people are compatible with you, if your process seems good. Really, it costs next to nothing. I would say like the, the average club charges maybe $80 for six months, something like that. Yeah. And I got, Brad, I just have to tell you, this was such a life-changing moment for me to get into Toastmasters and then parlay that into my career and teaching and presenting and listening to patients. And it dovetailed so well into what they were doing at Kaiser at the time. That's uh, really serendipitous. So amazing. So for the listeners, if you want to check out his those vignettes, it's drwisdom.net. And if you want to check out uh, Dr. Scott Abramson's book, it's Bedside Manners for Physicians and Everybody Else, What They Don't Teach in Medical School or any other school. So once again, always a pleasure to have you on the show, Scott Abramson. Thank you, Brad. I so much appreciate talking with you. Before we go, be sure to check out the incredible work of Edward Dabdab and Dabdab Law Firm. For more information and expert guidance on disability insurance claims, visit their website, longtermdisability.net. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it. 
or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you, this is not a doctor-patient relationship and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.